Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. Hello. Oh, you're recording me. Uh, welcome to Bilge Pumps, episode 111. Um, this week we have the full crew aboard, and uh, well, one of us is in a it's relatively a sunny environment. Yeah, uh, not me. No, oh, okay. Uh, None of us are then. We've been deluged here, um, <laughs> and uh, our own version of a mini cyclone st- struck at the weekend with the uh, trees down and internet outages out and power out for a day and all that kind of fun. Oh, fun! But, yeah. uh, for once, it, for once, it didn't sort of strike right when bulge pumps were due. So, <laughs> well, uh, we should here... be warm. It should be warm. It should be yeah. sunny. Over here, it, it's not quite rain for 40 days and 40 nights, but 14 days and 14 nights, maybe. <laughs> so you're well and truly on the way. Yeah. It's trying. Yeah. It, I mean, to be honest, apart from the fact that with the with heavy cloud overhead, my solar panels aren't charging very much. Other than that, it's not actually too bad for me. I like driving through lots of puddles. <laughs> it's is okay. It, There's some sort of sadistic pleasure in that um, coming out of your um, civil engineering side. Yes, I must admit. Okay, there's a there's a dip in the, a fairly long road near me that every time the weather's like this, it always floods, and it's just dependent on how long and how severe the rain is, because it starts off as a flood on one side of the road and it gradually expands and expands and expands until it's on both sides of the road. But on the the side that's heading away from here is usually it can get up to about two and a half, three foot deep. You know, enough to stall out cars and float them if they lose momentum. Um, Look, sometimes worse. I not, wonder not, not who was the guy in the Volvo though. who likes to drive through that that puddle near me. Yes, Banstead Road. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> oh, yeah, so uh, you've got several wet poodles that you want to um, introduce <laughs> to him. <huh? laughs> well, this was the thing. I, I was driving down there and I saw, you know, ahead. You know, there's the regular little queue that builds up because people they're almost like little baby ducklings they hesitate before driving in it's like well you're driving through it anyway why are you stopping uh you're psyching yourself up just in case you you get stuck in a in a 15 foot long puddle or something (laughs) um oh no um but anyway so i was like okay fine if everyone's stopping i'll stop but i stopped about 30 feet behind behind the puddle um waited till the person ahead of me had gone through then just floored it um Hit the, so, hit the so you're, 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 where's where's your understanding of fluid dynamics here? I mean, what about the the, um, the prospect of aquaplaning a couple of your wheels without aquaplaning the other two? If I well, can aquaplane a Volvo at forty miles an hour, I'm breaking laws of physics. I see it. I see it as a public service <laughs> because I displace so much water out of the puddle. It physically diminishes the size of the puddle for everybody else because half of the puddle is now in the field next door. Um, yeah, but I'm, it, I'm afraid. To, I'm afraid to say I've seen the results of too many um, drivers, usually urban drivers on country mm. roads, who think they can zip through that nice big puddle at a hundred kilometers per hour and end up upside down a few hundred meters down the road. Oh yeah, no, no, no. There, there, it's there not hundred. A hundred. It's, it's forty. There, miles yeah, there is a certain hour. speed to be on. Well, no, I'm talking about hundred kilometers per hour here, not forty miles. But it was quite fun. It was quite funny because uh, my wife said, uh, um, as we were heading towards it, she said there was a blue mini waiting to go the other way, um, 
who flashed his lights apparently at me as I was forging my way through. And I said, well, it's all right. All he would have seen is a tidal wave of water coming his way. So he doesn't know who did it. Uh... Yeah, right. <laughs> so next time you hear, uh... next time it rains and you hear that ambulance siren. Um, mm. nice Clark, you... <laughs> anyway. To be fair, I'm worse because I used to skip across the things in a Subaru. <laughs> It's in, in, in the nicest way, a Subaru is great. It's designed to be aerodynamic in some forms and look like a boat from underneath. So, 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 and you so, can so you literally a, go across. So you mm. mean it's a bit like one of those Russian uh, hydroplane effect? Yeah. Things. And uh, there are people in Land Rover Freelanders looking at me going, how did I get stilled out by the water, but he got through? And I'm sitting there going, bye-bye! <laughs> Right. But for that, Sorry. you do need to have to hit it at about 120 to 130 miles an hour. But of course, I would never do that on UK roads. Never, because <laughs> it'd be illegal. We can't go more than 70. It's not, it's not just that, seriously. The, no, the don't do it. The whole concept of, of, um, <clears throat> of, of four-wheeled vehicles losing grip in an uneven manner on those kinds of puddles... Um, the uh, results are often quite disastrous, and I think any Australian will tell you that. Yes, they are. But um, all right. Yeah. Anyway, back there to other disasters. Um, how's Prince of Wales going? It'll get it's fixed. Still in dry dock, I think. Yes. Mm, okay. This is so the point what, when you have to. Well, this why, is why the trouble. Just, why don't you just? This is the... you know, you know, Why don't you just get go and borrow a couple of Drax swords and go and take over the other one that's visiting? <laughs> We Ford. could go and take over Ford. Hmm. I mean, where, where's it parked? That's a lot of pay- that. That would that that would. I just think of the issues. We'd end up having to buy French aircraft because the Americans, if we took their carrier, wouldn't sell us their aircraft. Must be, but it's, but it's and got, that, and it's got a whole be... load of them already. Yes, but that's not an infinite supply. <laughs> ah. Would it be able? Would it, suppose, would it, yeah, suppose they buy us time for us to put it still on our own. Huh? Would it be able to get under that bridge of yours? That's not possible. Yeah. That's in the fourth. That's oh, to okay. get to the, 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 this is the problem. The dry dock, which can actually take the carriers, is the opposite end of the country from where they're based. Yeah, I mean, isn't that fairly natural? Mm. It's not it's a very small big country, country. though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, let's let's talk about Australia here, guys. <laughs> Any idea how far it is from uh, Perth to Sydney? <laughs> I agree, but either way, it's still frigging stupid. Anyway, it so is. what you're suggesting is basing them on the other side of the country. Well, that would make more sense, but that would mean basing them in Scotland, and we're all worried about basing st- too much stuff in Scotland, although we already have the listening missile submarine, nuclear submarine fleet up there. Because of the way the certain members of the Scottish government keep going on more than the Scottish public. Yeah, but then again, you got to worry about Wales, you've got to worry about Cornwall. And also, then you'd probably be closing down Portsmouth or Plymouth Naval Base, and God help a government which did that. So, you know, I mean, these, you know, it's, it's all part of the Brexit ideal, isn't it? Brexit's fine. I said the ideal. Why, why stop with separating from Europe when you can separate from yourselves? <clears throat> ah, well, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. But 
honestly, with the whole sort of we're, we're wasting time. Brexit, we, should talk, we should be talking about it's, it. It's um, a, aircraft carriers. Yeah. Aircraft carriers so, are far more fun. I'm first mission. First mission. Um, I haven't heard too much about it. I suppose it's only just crossed the Atlantic, really, so far. But um, it didn't break down, which, as I say, it puts a, a clear one-up on the Prince of Wales. Yes, but it is named after possibly America's most... Well, how would you sum up Ford as a president, Drac? I don't know. He, he was gone before I was born. Same here, but I was also going to say, which Prince of Wales are you comparing um, this ship to? <laughs> oh. So don't be careful about throwing stones in glass well, houses, I suspect. Well, the, the only annoying <laughs> thing is that... Um, the thing is... In a, in a wonderful example of, um, you know, upgrading your infrastructure just about um you know they they dredged out portsmouth uh to get the qes in but of course the qes are around sixty thousand tons um ford is well over a hundred thousand so unfortunately you can't just rock up to the um portsmouth historic dockyard and see a ford docked a couple of hundred yards away because you can't fit down the dredge channel <laughs> Yeah, but that's so just that because the Americans have always got to do everything course. oversized. You know, that's just because the Americans have always got to do everything oversized. Come on. Have you seen the size of their blooming soft drink containers? This is true, but, you know... I mean, the, the reason why they built the Ford as big as they could, as they did, was to keep it in scale with the soft drink containers. <laughs> well, you're not I thought wrong, it was the vending but... machines, so they could carry them. Exactly. The <laughs> But I mean, yeah, um, it just means if I want to go and see um, Ford, it means I have to go over to Gosport. Well, you know, the side of mean, that's Harbour. not a bad trip for you. You like that, that sort that's, of that's, journey. That's a couple of pounds of, of extra travel um, expenses versus um, how many billions of pounds to dredge the damn channel. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, drag is important. <laughs> anyway. uh, yeah, but also if i if, if, the but, thing is if you show up to portsmouth historic dockyard with a camera no one asks questions if you show up on a beach in the middle of a rainstorm on the south coast of gosport it's fairly obvious why you're there and the americans tend to be a bit more twitchy about this kind of stuff true mm. i suppose but then again um i'm sure you have connections you can mm. Use those same connections that so successfully um, got you um, zipping around um, Portsmouth earlier and almost arrested to do the same with um, the Ford. Well, apparently it says the Gosport Ferry is running a two-hour tour today and tomorrow if people want to see it up close. So that's how long it takes to get around it, is it? <laughs> Probably how long <laughs> it takes to get out of Portsmouth Harbour with the constant ferry services. Um it might be worth a worth a shot, or that'd be fun. So, so I'm guessing that there's something going on up there. Is there a, um, a nice big exercise, or is it a big um... NATO exercises coming up? Mm -hmm. They want well, to have a I nice think... multi-carrier fo um, photogra photograph, and I think make a QE, statement with QE having been over to the states twice. <laughs> um, they probably thought they should reciprocate in some manner. Well, yeah, that, that's about equal to displacement value, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, two visits by a QE, one visit by a Ford. Probably the balance of displacement is in the escorts. 
well, I, I, I somehow doubt that. You haven't seen how heavy the American escorts are compared to ours. No, that's what I mean. It doesn't balance it. It would unbalance it. Well, no, because uh, that's two visits of roughly 70,000 ton ship is 140,000 tons. So that gives us a 40,000 ton advantage. And then our ones are 4,000 for Type 23. So there's usually a couple of them across with about 8,000 tons and usually a couple of Type 45s, which are roughly 8,000 tons. So that's roughly 16 plus that. So that's probably 24,000 tons. So probably both visits combined, that's now 48,000 tons. So that's 188,000 tons. Uh, US one is roughly... Their carrier comes to visit, plus their escorts. They probably bring about four or five escorts with them back maximum. So that's probably going to be about 50,000 tons onto 100,000 tons. So that's roughly 150,000 tons. So, yeah. You know. uh, which is a good segue to DDGX. Mm. Oh, good Lord. It is a good segue. But also, I think we should also point out that Jamie is currently having fun with... What do we call the um, people who are very pro the American forces again? Because I know the British ones are yeah. T-Boos and the German ones are Verbals. What's <laughs> the American ones? Eagletopians. Okay, so Jamie is managing <laughs> to pick up them and having a lot of fun with them. Um, they are You're having fun with, them, but... with, with China. Well, I'm having fun. Let's put it this way. Uh, here is my clue that the person I'm dealing with is probably paid for by the Chinese government. Because someone else comments on a video somewhere, not even tagging them in, about how annoying they seem to be and how much propaganda they seem to be pushing for China. And within less than two hours, in the middle of the night Chinese time, they are responded to by this person, apparently, from China. I am sorry, but that is incredibly suspicious because a how they know and b then they respond at that time of night have you um upset the um bismarck camp again lately drag um not lately although i'm well, working get to it then. they're just in a permanent snit with you aren't they <laughs> yeah well i am working towards another one that another video that will probably annoy them even more but Right now, I'm limiting myself to the occasional jibe pointing out that the uh, thoroughly obsolete Kirishima stayed afloat a lot longer with its citadel penetrated than Bismarck did. So, so much for German engineering and solidity. <laughs> oh, anyway, right. don't to, get me started. Every time I bring talk, up the talk, German as Graf Zeppelin, this, it just causes fun. Disgusting. DDGX. Back to, um, back to um, rigidity and uh, engineering quality. DDGX. Mm-hmm. Now, did anyone learn anything from the experiences with the Zumwalt and the LCSs? No. So what well, we did, did you but I'm not learn? sure if the Americans did. Hmm? So what lessons, what lessons do we not learn? Well, has anyone looked at the fact that they've done a completely different new hull design, completely talking about a completely new power plant design? And they're talking about all sorts. Everything's going to be new again. Everything's going to be brand spanking new. They've got proven concepts sitting there that work, and they're not proven just going to take any of them. Simulation? Uh, yeah, that's yes. okay. No, so let's be honest. 
you have got the Zumwalt sitting there. And yes, I know we are, I know the points you've made about them not having been fitted with their rail guns and all these things, and so they're considered a failure. But let's be honest, what does work? The hull, the engines, the hull and the engines. So why aren't you just taking the hull and the engines of the Zumwalt and just putting the new stuff on top of that? Then you've got something proven that works and can deal the new stuff and you're not redesigning the wheel okay so um why were there only three zumwalt's field because they didn't because there was uh, there was all sorts of arguments that their cost didn't just they they didn't justify their cost because the rail gun program hadn't delivered this pro, uh, several of the programs which were supposed to feed in component parts didn't deliver whereas so, uh, and so, so you three, know, four, they just so 3.4 billion us per uh, DDGX um, sounds like a realistic price for you for a completely untested, unproven concept. Or do you think that'll triple like it kind of did for most of the other previous? I um, wouldn't be surprised. If it, it depends how many they order in a batch. If they manage to order a dozen in a get go, then they maybe uh, maybe it'll only go up to about four to a four to five billion per unit. But it depends. If they try and order just a batch of three and pay off all the development costs in those three, and then they order the rest, then it's going to be really, really expensive. Because it's kind of like the British with the Type 45s. If you go back to that old saga, the amount of times you see newspapers go, these are billion-pound destroyers, and they aren't. The point is, the costs of development were spread over six units when they were supposed to be spread over nine to 12 units. And so that makes it look far more expensive because you're paying not just the cost of building the ship and equipment but also the cost of development and making it all work together so yeah it does work out at roughly six billion pounds for the six destroyers but the destroyers themselves in that worked out an average price of about 400 million each so you're talking 2.4 billion for the destroyers and this was about must be getting about 15 years 15 20 years ago wasn't it track yeah getting to it now yeah and so that was then so yeah i i can see that but again it's going to depend on how many they're ordering per batch if they the developers the companies will ramp up the cost of the first batch to try and pay recoup their development costs because they're expensive i i guess also it depends you know uh, if the new hull design which isn't as radical as the zombies it might be cheaper and easier to build touch wood but uh, you know 13,500 ton ship um that's not yeah, far off as a malt it's not is it and you know um it's how much better than a than a burke flight three well i don't really apart from its size and its power generating capacity um the actual configuration doesn't seem to be too different um, yeah, look, I don't know. I mean, once again, how much more do you get for out of a bigger ship as opposed to getting two ships uh, with a little bit less, which means that you might actually have one of them in the sea at any given point of time. So well, we've had this argument before about size versus um, availability. Well, that and the, yeah, the trouble is you need to DGDX. balance it. 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, Greg. So I was going to say, DDGX just it, it, it's kind of like Schrodinger's ship at the moment. They're putting approximate cost to it, but as far but as far as we know, um, they they still haven't decided exactly how much it's going to displace. Yeah, well, as I say, the, the general cast around figure is about thirteen thousand five hundred. But you're right; they mm. haven't, they haven't finalised the design, which which you know, again um, will push out its in the water period even longer. Whereas I suppose if you go with a zoom alt, I suppose you've got to redesign its it, to a fair degree anyway. If you're going to be reconfiguring its weapon systems. Not as much as you probably think, because the Sunwolf's designed with quite a lot of a lot of space. Um, the thing is, it's the, the interesting thing I'm looking at when it comes to DDGX is, as far as I can see, what they're wanting is they're wanting the continuation from the Flight Three A, the Flight Three sort of Arlie Burks, and then just be able to evolve and future proof them like they have with the Arlie Burke design. So basically, they're looking for a Burke. Type two, in a way, is this is going to be this is going to be the well, I mean, this is supposed yeah, to be a continuation of birth in some respects. Is it really though, or is this just another through deck cruiser argument? Because it's a complete redesign. It's not an evolved Berg. It's a completely new hull. Um, so you know, okay, it's, it's... Jamie, just because it's got, we've been over this before though. The new hull is lovely. It's the dressing on the outside, and it's what you need to justify and say it's really. It's forty percent extra. But what about the electronics and the systems inside? And that's why there's a new hull. It's it's forty percent bigger internal capability for it to be able to carry all those extra generators and things. So you know, I mean, that's great. Um, But you know, I, I guess. If that would help with its uh, radars and any sort of electronic warfare. Um, it might even have a couple of, um, you know, energy weapon-based um, close-in defense systems, I suppose. And, you know, that would definitely make those weapons more sustainable and more operable and uh, give them greater range, mm-hmm. I imagine. And, you know, maybe that's what it, maybe that's what it takes. Maybe, it, it um, you know, the Zumwalt's current generating capability isn't enough to give it that mix of powerful close-in weapon systems with a decent um, offensive payload. Maybe that's why they want to change the whole design. But um, yeah, if, if it involves a lot of reconfiguring, rebuilding, adding extra generators and things to a Zumwalt. Zumwalt doesn't require extra generators. It's got more power generation than you need. Well, yeah, but is it enough for what they're planning on putting on the EX is the question, isn't it? Well, the interesting conversation I've had is that so far it's looking like it's going to be a Seawolf and Virginia-style scenario. And we know what's happening there. The USN are now talking about building the next generation Seawolf because whilst the Virginia is definitely the best, it's, the, it's definitely the best, we now need a submarine which is more Seawolf. Which we stopped building because we couldn't justify them because they were so expensive in a time when there was no peer competition, no threat. So we didn't need that capability. So we built the Virginias, which were the general purpose, do everything you wanted and provide enough capability that we've still maintained a submarine service arm and are very good subs. But I'm looking at the DGGX and the Zumwalt 
And there's part of me wondering if the Zumwalt's, which are free, kind of like the Seawolves, are going to be looked back on and going to go in a few in a, about 15, 20 years time. Someone's going to tell me, oh, we, 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 well, considering the level of peer composition we're now facing with the type 62 Chinese super ship, um, we need to build something which is more Zumwalty than we we were, have been planning. How does it compare to your Type 83? <laughs> depends which one uh, depends which one we're looking at of our drawings. Because so far there hasn't been anything coming from the Royal Navy on Type 83, but there's a lot of work going on it between uh, between me and Drac. And Drac's getting a lot of people <laughs> to draw his things, and it's getting massive. Well, I think every single size, one I see gets playing better. around with the with the different different potential weapons loadouts. No, every single one I've version I've seen those drawings. I think it looks starts to look fatter. I am sorry. I I swear that girl is getting uh, that ship. She's getting on some girth. <laughs> so is it going to end up being a trimaran? Uh, unfortunately not. We did discuss that at one point, didn't we? Uh, what we got? We were going to use the outer hulls to be. They were basically they could be. They would be docked on. And then they could be undocked and they could go off home and reloads could come out. I think that was what we were talking about at one point. I think we had all sorts of ideas for that one. Just why don't you have strap on type 31s? Because could do make them make them mm, the ship's boats. Could do. Would they be type 33s by the time the 83 is in service? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, again, how long is it going to take to get a DDGX into the water? It's, it's it's starting to sound a lot like Australia's situation with um, nuclear submarines. By the time you get these DDGXs built, um, you know, how many of your Burks are going to be left? Because we're seeing the uh, last of the um, Tycos withdrawn. Do you have 30 years to design, develop, refine these ships. I guess that's time will tell. Problem with them. That, that's the basic problem of all of this. If you had 30 years, great, but you don't have 30 years. This is one of the reasons why I was sitting there going when they had when they were talking about the Zumwalt program. And there was a long discussion going on about, oh, do we cancel the program? Do we end the program? Or do we? My suggestion, what well, my thinking, and I actually wrote a paper which was submitted at somewhere. I don't think it was ever published, but it was submitted. And basically put forward the idea, right then, build batch two Zumwalt's, build about three or four of them. But what you do is you build the engines and the hull, and then you just put a Arleigh Burke on the top, basically, all their command and control systems and those missiles in. Because you can reconfigure the space and you can do it quite easily. And that would provide you with some coverage until you got something. But they haven't. So now they're building Arleigh Burks again. And the Arleigh Burks are lovely, and I have a feeling the Arleigh Burks are going to keep being built into service. But the trouble is you're now dealing with a design which was the flower of 1970s design, practice, and technology and development. And yes, it's been up upgraded and modified, upgraded and modified, upgraded and modified all the way along. But unfortunately, its foundational architecture, its foundational structuring and arrangement and layout is fundamentally the same. 
And those ships are probably going to be in service for about another 15, 20 years before anything, before you hear even hear the first of the DDGX come into service. But yeah, isn't that the same argument for um, the template for the um, emergency destroyers of World War II? You know, they were, Hmm? there was nothing new about them, but they were a design that was well and truly understood, a design that was capable, and a Mm -hmm. design that could could be produced now. Um, or as if they'd not built them and focused on building the battle class, then how many years would it have taken of, you know, um, t- before the battle class became available? And, to be fair, uh, they were building those long before they started actually building the battle class. That's what I mean. But if, if yeah. the point is, is if they, the point is, is that the battle class was the next generation, whereas the yeah. emergency destroyers were what you built in order to get... They were tribal-class hulls with J-class configure- weapons configurations. And, oh, where did they get... They got the superstructure from a different class, didn't they? They went didn't go with tribal superstructure. They went with... Um, they, they, they had um, single-mount guns. I don't think they were J-class. No, J-class layouts. So they were single guns, but they were J-class okay. layouts of the ammunition hoist and all those things. Um, superstructure guns uh, came from... Oh, it was the H's, wasn't it? It was the H's. It does look yeah. a lot like them. So the point yeah. being is you know, is that uh, they were the best of what they had at the time that they could produce without complication <laughs> so that you could have a fleet in being as opposed to a fleeting wanting. Yeah. So, and that's you know, great. Is, and is, that's is, very is, is, the, is, uh, yeah, uh, is the United States at that point now where it's so far behind in its next generation vessels because of the, you know, the, the Zumwalt situation, because of the LCS situation, that it now needs to do the Burke thing. Oh, it does. And they are building the Burks. But I think I think the big trouble with the United States on this front, and this is the point I made back many years ago when I first I was first ever asked to submit a paper for Simsec. It wasn't published, but I was um, 19. So that tells you how many years ago it was. And at the point, we were talking about various policies, and the policy I was critiquing was the idea that you stopped building Burks because you started building Zumwalt's. Because, let's be honest, when are the most mature, best quality ships produced of any line? They're the last ones, the last batch. And when are the worst quality ships of any line produced? They're usually the first batch. They're usually the ones which are going to have the most problems. So what you really want to do is you want to be produ- still producing your last to your previous class when you're producing your first of your next class so that they overlap coming into service. And then you slowly phase down as you phase up the new ones. So instead you get and a 20-year gap. Yes. Instead you get and a 20-year gap where the, where the last of your old ones are falling apart. <laughs> Um, is when you get the first of your new ones, which aren't working properly. True. And I pointed out that the US is, is unique because they're the only ones who procure enough numbers they can actually do this yes. and justify it. They're the only ones who can because they have numbers. Them and China. No one else procures enough ships to be able to do, get away with it. True. I mean, that's like I said, you know, um, the rest of us, like Australia and the UK, we get the... Uh, valley of death 
in terms of uh, well everything from <laughs> technology through to maintaining the um, necessary welding skills and electrical skills to to, to actually build a washer. Yeah, you I mean, have to you you have to try and find a way to structure your whole fleet to keep something in production at all times to maintain those skills, which can make it seem absolutely absurd of what's going on. Because mm -hmm. you're not building ships in their most efficient manner to build the ships you need. It's building ships in the most efficient manner to maintain the skills you need to build ships. Which is the least efficient manner for construction. And for servicing your needs. But it keeps the skills so you can actually service your needs. The enemy of resilience is efficiency. Mm-hmm. Next subject. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, China's flying submarines? Flying submarines. Yeah. Flying torpedoes, it looked like to me. Well, but mean, no. it's, it's a, so here's the thing. Yeah, definitions are important. Flying submarines, mm -hmm. flying drones, flying torpedoes. So you could say that flying torpedoes have been around for quite a while. They um, have been. Like the Cairo has been around since the 60s. Um, we could talk about the things which were dropped by the swordfish in Taranto Harbour, because <laughs> they were flying for a short while. <laughs> um, you also have... You know, and they uh, could an even be argued to be wire-guided while flying. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but the point being, yeah, and you know, the, the concept of a rocket booster or glider, yeah. deli glider delivery of torpedoes is certainly not new um i guess in this regard it's kind of like um you know those jdam the uh, strap-on packs mm -hmm. for conventional bombs to make them semi-guided weapons Con that concept is being extended to torpedoes which i guess makes good sense if you want to if you need a standoff weapon against a submarine but um, I, I can't really see any other point for, for I mean look I, I fully understand the need to boost a torpedo away from a warship um, let's face it what's, it's one of my pet peeves is why the hell do you put torpedo tubes on a ship um, I still haven't had anyone give me a answer, a, a reasonable answer revenge Des desperate to find one well no unless you fire it from underwater while you got you know you're gonna have to keep no. To give... You hear the torpedo coming into you. You fire your torpedoes down that bearing. Yeah. I somehow suspect that the, the submarine launch ones have got a longer range anyway. But you um... still fire your torpedoes down that bearing. <laughs> um. So yeah, look, I, I fully get that. So what's old is new again in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, air deliverable drones. Um. Yeah, I guess that makes sense too. Rapid deploy your drone. Mm -hmm. But. You know, I mean, is it really worth that much fuss? Um, I guess it depends on what your drone does. Your drone might well be a loitering torpedo. So, you know... Um, so basically you're doing an air deployable minefield in that regards, aren't you? It's a loitering torpedo and it's what, your airdropping. Right. It, you're creating, you're putting in a minefield what, what were those, of sorts. Um, Drac, what were those... Italian torpedoes that um, designed to zigzag. Uh, oh, in the latter part of World War Two. Well, they were used against um, pedestal as well. Um, 
Yeah, they they, they kind of zigzag through the formation to increase their chances yeah. of hitting something. Can't remember what they were called. No. So, but you know, again, again, yeah, um, investment versus return. What what are your thoughts, Drac, in terms of a, an air deployed, under, uh, you know, underwater drone slash torpedo slash loitering torpedo? Because it's not an it's not an air deployed submarine. Because let's face it, there's not even one crew member on board. No, I mean, unless they're really small. It's it's kind of been done I mean, before. Are they recruiting um, two year olds? You've got Ikara, which is I know, yeah, so, yeah it's nineteen sixties. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and as I was saying, that's got a decent standoff ability for a warship. It means you can actually shoot from a ship without having to use your helicopter as a deploying vehicle um, before you're in terminal range yourself. So. You know, it, it's it's what's old is new again, and then I guess the question is: Can that is that value extendable to um, drones, underwater drones, um, firing a drone? Now, I guess it might get you to your target a bit quicker, but I don't really think a underwater surveillance platform needs to be. Air launch, but then again, I suppose if it's dropped off of a, you know, a, a Poseidon or something, then it's another matter. Well, I mean, the, there there are two scenarios in which I can see this. If you expand it to the size of a full size torpedo, potentially having some advantages. The big disadvantage, of course, is that at the moment there's a lot of anti air defense systems. There's not a lot of anti-torpedo defense systems. So the minute you put your torpedo into the skies, there's a reasonable chance it may get shot down. Um, Conversely, there are new anti-torpedo torpedoes coming out. So advantage one would be that by flying through the air at least partway to target, you might be able to increase a uh, you might be able to decrease your engagement time um so instead of having to guide i mean it's fairly much more obvious than a, a slowly creeping torpedo or whatever but if your opponent knows you're there or you don't particularly care then you could just you know launch your torpedo it pops up into the sky and then because air is less dense if you can make this hybrid system work, it might be able to in- substantially increase its range. So if you've got a, um, I don't know, a basic sonar contact, a passive sonar contact of like large enemy formation, 50 miles that way, lob a few of these into the sky. Um, they launch, obviously, from the surface. If they stay low, then the enemy defenses may not notice the launch depending on what kind of um systems they're using at the time and then they can hot foot it across they like, say the first 30 35 miles of of the intervening gap and then when they enter the realm of you know when they've come over the horizon and the enemy point defenses and surface to air missiles are starting to engage then they can drop back into the water where they're now much harder to destroy, which give that gives you an advantage. The other thing might be if the anti-torpedo torpedoes do come out, um, you know, by popping up, they could bypass those. 
you know, bypass those and then drop again, drop back down if they start getting engaged by air defenses, which makes them a lot harder to deal with. Because even if they're back in range of anti-torpedo torpedoes, if your torpedo was, say, I don't know, 15 miles out on bearing 270 and someone volleys a bunch of counter torpedoes that way and then your hybrid thing pops up, flies off, detects the surface to air missile launch ducks back down again and it's now five miles away at bearing one nine was sort of 170 you're now it's down completely the different location so the counter torpedoes are now out of position and unlikely to make the intercept so th there's a certain amount of merit in the use but it depends if you a if you can scale this up because you know a torpedo is a big heavy object You'd be trapping like rocket packs to the thing to try and get it, it into would the be sky. Very, and it, it would be very uh, fuel hungry, I imagine, to be able yes. to, to, to do such a transition, especially multiple times. And, and anything, and, if it does it. So. Yeah, and anything and you've the problem to I it, see it's increase it is, the size of it. So you're going to be looking at a limited number of probably VLS, hmm. large VLS tubes launching them because it'll be too big to fit in a standard torpedo tube. So applying that to a drone, okay, so it's got some merit as a torpedo weapon against a, mm -hmm. a surface combatant, but in terms of a, because they are called you know, air-launched submarines as opposed to air-launched torpedoes. Or air, mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that they are talking about um, autonomous underwater vehicles, which may have, will carry a warhead or may not. I can't really see, you know, unless, unless you actually turn the concept of island hopping literal um i can't see much point for a a um, surveillance kind of drone um unless once again it's a means of air deploying a drone but then why not just strap a parachute on it and drop it from your um you know your, your bomber or your um surveillance aircraft that way I suppose the only the only problem at that point would be that aircraft are somewhat easier to detect than subs. Yeah. So you can maybe get the sub as a launch platform in a lot closer. I mean, the weird thing is that this that kind of mission profile would be something I might not have been too surprised to hear about from the US. Um, in terms of launching something into a river system, you know. Um, because China has a few major rivers that are very important to trade. It has a bunch of very important hydroelectric dams. So the ability to launch something into there from the coast might be quite powerful. But yeah, what quite what China is going to be doing with it. If they um, are, because I'm sure yeah. there's a whole lot of these projects are just being put out there to um muddy the waters so to speak because yeah you know, i mean what what you know what what benefit does it give you what what can it do that other systems can't do for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the um well, you know the, yeah. the mission I mean, um the main mission i could think of with these things and this is strange i've gone for a completely different mission than probably you have is that um Let's say you've got our helicopters out hunting submarines at maximum range. And let's say you're a force which is really worried about enemy submarines because they've been going about how capable their submarines are for the last, well, get nigh on near 100 years to the point that they've almost reached a mythological status. So you actually 
because your serious force are actually quite worried about it because they're obviously intent on using these submarines. So you want to engage them as far out as you possibly can. Your helicopter's found it's at a target. It's dropped its torpedoes. And they don't seem to have managed to hit the target. They've spoofed them or something, but they still know their target's there. Well, then the helicopter has to come back or has to wait for another helicopter to come out to rearm and to drop more torpedoes on it. Or you could make a call and a rocket torpedo turned up, which is what Subrock and Asrock were really for. And I was sort of looking at this going, well, can it do that? And I don't think it can do that either. And so I'm really not sure what this is for. The, well, the other thing I'm thinking potentially, which, especially if you look at Taiwan, is that we, as we know China is making leaps and bounds in terms of its technological capabilities. Well, look, I've been told that we don't have to worry on Taiwan, but all that happens is the PRC just needs to turn up, according to one of them, if you comment on my YouTube, and mm. the Taiwanese army, Taiwanese will throw down their guns and gladly rejoin China, because that's what's going to happen. And so therefore, that's... by that logic, the entire investment of the Chinese armed forces in developing all these weapons to invade Taiwan must be completely pointless. And we've seen how because why because idea. they don't need to, and that was exactly the idea behind Ukraine, wasn't it? Mm. To pack your I mean, exactly the idea, yeah. um, there, there have been so many invasions of countries, which that's been exactly the idea behind. Well, even go back as far back as the War of eighteen twelve. You know, let's invade Canada; they will welcome us as liberators. And the Canadians yeah, and were like. I've named my bayonet liberator. <laughs> um, so, yeah, oh, good. Uh, so I, I, I think, see, the, the thing is with China is they have a lot of platforms, but by any measure, a number of those platforms, although they're relatively recent, are also relatively obsolete. Um, so at that point... You don't necessarily want to decommission something so quickly, um, but you you also, being realistic, might acknowledge that maybe it's not the world's most survivable of, of craft. Um, I think if I remember correctly, like they've they've got the Type ninety threes in service at the moment, um, and the. The that they, they let's just say they haven't had the world's greatest reception in terms of you know they're they're very noisy. They're not as noisy as a Type ninety one, but a Type ninety one was kind of cover your ears because otherwise you might ruin your hearing if you're a passive sonar operator. To be fair, Type ninety ones you didn't need to use the passive sonar to hear them. The entire crew in the submarine could often work out where the Type ninety one was without even turning on the passive sonar. So. If if you've got a bunch of you know SSKs or SSNs that they've got a lot of whole life in them, but you don't necessarily think that they're going to, uh, they're not going to necessarily survive close contact with Virginias or Sea Wolves or Astutes or whatever. And if you equip them with a bunch of these, then if you have some kind of data linking or some kind of, um some other kind of reporting system going on maybe not between subs but maybe between maritime patrol aircraft and helicopters um 
then given that Taiwan is pretty close to mainland China, you you can have a fairly large number of these operating from the Chinese shore. And obviously they have limited payloads and they may not want to get too close to some of the contacts, especially if some of those contacts are, say, riding escort on larger um, subs, uh, sorry, not larger fleets. But um, if you have your older submarines maybe sitting 50, 100 miles off in the north, just to the north or south of the Taiwan Strait, they're underwater. They're far enough away that if they're idling, they're probably not going to be detected. And conventionally, they're not in any range to do anything themselves. But if they're hovering at periscope depth with just a little mast up or something, and then either a maritime patrol aircraft or a drone or whatever says, hey, we think there's a enemy seawolf in this approximate area, then your older sub can then volley fire half a dozen of these hybrid things which can then make their way over drop into the water and the you know an underwater sub is usually not particularly brilliant at working out stuff that's going on above the water unless it's very low altitude um so a rapidly arriving rocket or jet powered torpedo that suddenly drops into the water above their heads it might acquire and kill them but almost certainly will spook them into doing something uh, forcing them to react and maybe maybe that reaction is something that will allow a follow-up shot to either from another another incoming hybrid or, more, or from a, or something more that's nearby. yeah or more importantly prevent them from acting yeah exactly just you're forcing your enemy to react to you and it's not really cost you much except for a single expendable munition and suddenly your older noisier platforms now have a a use beyond sitting in the back in the back lines Look, it's it's interesting that our speculation to this point hasn't actually matched, you know, the stated aim for these uh, um, transmedia vessels, as they're calling them, and that is to defeat a carrier battle group's multi-layered defences. So the argument is that, as you meant, you know, that you know, you cannot track a vehicle that's going between mediums on a regular basis. Um, which you know, I suppose it's not so much you can't track them, but uh, I suppose you have to reacquire them each time they, they they transition, don't they? So it enters the water. You're going to have to you know, re-triangulate, re re-zero in on it in terms of its um, in terms of side sonar and passive sonar and the likes. It it breaks the surface, and you have to reacquire it, re-target it using your um, low altitude. Um, defensive radars. You're going to need that, an integrated computer network that can use all the different can see see all the different sensors and combine and, and overlap that, them. And, and that might be what gives them that edge that you know they don't stay in any one medium long enough for that phalanx to like lock onto them or for that new anti-submarine torpedo to to lock onto them. Yeah, and but can we just? It's, it's okay, kind of, so let's say it, it is doing that and it is jumping up and down and reading this, that's what it's, they are talking about. That means it's going to be smashing into the ocean like every, well, let's put it this way, possibly every minute 30 or so. Yeah. 30 seconds or so. In which case, I'm just thinking this from the fact that hitting the ocean is not exactly a good thing. and Especially when there, especially when there are things called waves. And you're traveling at speed. This seems like a good way to destroy your own torpedoes. 
you wouldn't want to be doing it fast, would you, I suppose? No. And if you're not doing it fast, and then that kind of defeats the object because whilst you're sort of doing a skip, 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 skip in the above the water, and it's just there's probably going to be some watching. This thing's coming in at about well, it'll be here in about an hour's time. Um, what should we do about it? Well, we could go out there with a net and scoop it up. I mean, look, you know, there'll I, be a fishing trawl it's, it's not going to be with a telescope not... to pick it up. Yeah. It's not going to be as bad as shall we say, a swordfish trying to torpedo the, the Bismarck, where you had to have your observer dangling over the side looking for, uh, for the for the trot in the wave to drop your torpedo so it doesn't get knocked off course. Because, no. let's face it, being an autonomous vehicle, if it gets knocked off course, it can quickly correct its course. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, all these things take time and energy. And, and processing um, power. And processing power. Um, so, and you know, you're thinking that it's which, just which means which means what happens smaller, if it gets a fin dislodged thing. or something? You, you, yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's just not going to be a good scenario. Well, you would have you would have to build it strong enough, which means bigger, which means heavier, which means more fuel. <laughs> um, so, look, I mean, it's an interesting concept, but I just can't see that those fundamental um, equations of you know, propulsion versus payload versus resilience gives you a reasonable warhead um, at the point of impact for the investment in the counter in all the countermeasures to get it there. I do sometimes wonder, though, and this is going to sound particularly cynical of me, but bear with me. If sometimes the Chinese produce these things and talk about this sort of scenario based on the idea that it's going to cause everyone to think they have to develop a counter to it and it's going to cause us to spend a lot of money. And divert resources? Well, for sure. I mean, it's a time-honored tactic, isn't it? Yeah. And it works very well, but you'd hope, you'd just hope that the fact that Britain... And America have done this so often on other people that they have they would sort of recognize it when it's being done to them. Mm. Yeah, look, and, and again, there might actually be a um, application for such a kind of such an ability that uh, we'll all think of. Oh hell, why didn't we think of that <laughs> once it's applied? Mm. So you do you can't ignore it um, completely, of course. Because you know, the the last um, point that you, you want to be able to say, oh hell, why didn't I think of that? Was is as it comes down on top of your forward class carrier. But um, yeah, uh, we'll put that one in the um, in the pending folder, I think. Hmm. So, any other subjects for today? Or no, I think we done, it's uh, been a fairly done, quiet week for naval matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there is the fact that Sunak decided to announce the ships at um, at the G20, which it's kind of interesting. It's not really, normally G20 is economic announcements, not announcements, not defense announcements. So, yeah, what I, is he, yeah, it's, what's it's, he signaling it's, with? It's, 
let, let's 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 face it there hasn't actually been anyone at the rudder has there of uh, the uk economy now for a few years so um he's pr grasping for uh for straws for announcements i would imagine <laughs> he maybe or maybe he's trying to announce the sort of it, it's going to sound strange it's starting to be seen that you have to defend almost economic stability and the current economic system and it, it's starting to dawn on a few people so they might to start, it might, it might be a step in that direction, but it's it was just interesting enough to note. I'm not really sure why he's done that. I thought he was As going saying, to announce it of... like a love of us when, when when Glasgow was lowered into the water. I thought the prime minister would be there making a big fuss about, and now we are going to announce uh, so, that formally so we have signed for the five next batch. You're, you're assuming that everyone knows what you're referring to here. So, what was the announcement he made? And the announcement that Sunak made was that the Brit, uh, well, as we sort of talked about at the beginning, we talked about the fact that the batch two of the Type 26s have now been ordered. So we've ordered three. They're under construction, starting under construction. Glasgow is due to be, uh, Glasgow the first of the class is due to be entering the water soon. And we were all expecting him to announce, well, it to be announced when batch, when Glasgow went into water on the same day, that'd be the sort of day they'd announce batch two. That's sort of how these things normally go. It's a nice pomp and circumstances, and you combine the two, and you combine the announcement with this beautiful ship being dropped into water, which looks really cool in the photos, and therefore everyone's going, ooh, and ah, and ee. And it said... Five more of them, so you're going to get... Yes, going to get eight in total. But instead, it was made as an announcement at the global... G20. And it's not really unexpected. So as you no. say, it's sort of one of, although, one of those damp, damp squid kind of political announcements. Although, again, interestingly enough, um, it was cost... Excuse me a second. It cost $3.7 for the first three. That's development costs. The next five, it's costing $4.2 And that kind of shows you what I've been saying sort of about the fact that the costs go down because they they lump on their development costs on the first few of the ships uh, to try and get their money back as quickly as possible. Sorry, that did, uh, you, you, was, was that number the wrong way around? Because the, the number was cheaper for the first three. You just they bought three for 3.7 billion. Right. And oh, five okay. for four point two billion. Sorry, I, I was. I, I'm so used to looking at the uh, DDGX cost that I thought you were talking about per ship there. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if we consider it, the first class therefore came in at one point two three billion per unit. The first three of the class, and the next class are going to come in at about eight hundred and twenty-five million per unit. And probably, if you order the next batch, you could probably get another five for roughly six hundred million per unit, because all development costs are pretty much be paid off. So, how many cities do you have? Oh, we have about. Oof. I think we have enough that we could get a hundred or so for cities if you wanted to really continue okay. on the city names. There so are a fair number enough... of improvement cities which haven't been included. So you've got enough names. Yeah, we've got enough a, names who wanted for a decent to number more. of ships. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, unless Scotland leaves, of course. Well, no, honestly, Scotland doesn't have that many cities anymore. I know I, I, the, the Scottish part of me finds that really annoying. Leave that to one side. Um, but honestly, it's it's 
it, it's the, that scenario that you can you often are dealing with. If again, if you wanted to spend four point two billion again, you'd buy another seven perhaps hmm. at the six hundred million price, and then you would so have of course fifteen type twenty six. What, what about reinvesting the money you're spending in your type thirties? Watsons. Trouble is, having the 30s is going to be useful. They are proving exporting rather ex rather useful exporting assets. And they're basically a general purpose light frigate line that people can buy and slot in what they want. Same and it's kind of useful for us because it's going to be fitting in. It's our flak frigate. It's our going to be... I have the strong suspicion it's going to be our um, mines warfare frigate. And I wouldn't be surprised after that if they become a drone warfare frigate as well. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the Type 33s. And they're getting the gun that you like. Yes, they are. Well, both me and Drag like, because we, we kind of like these guns. We think that you know, we, we, we keep pointing out that you're going to run out of missiles long before you can run out of shells. If you build enough shells. So um, who stole the plans, is it? BAE Bofors. I didn't know that um, they bought up Bofors. Yeah. BAE owned Bofors. When did they do that? Oh, they've had them for about ooh, a good 15 years, 20 years. Okay. I missed that press release. So 57 millimeter and 40 millimeter versions of their guns, but uh, yeah. capable of using your pre fragmented and programmable and, pro and, and proximity fused ammunitions. And both are going to be fitted to are both fitted to Type Thirty One. Uh, yep. And now all you got to do is buy the ammunition. Yeah. And build enough of it so that you don't run out of it after you give it all to Ukraine. Or alternatively, buy enough and build a factory which has enough capacity you can ramp it up if you need to in wartime. Um. Yeah, but you know, efficiency, my friend, efficiency. Okay, that's fine. All I'm going to do is I'm going to build that factory in a key marginal constituency and just watch them fight over who get how much funding it gets. <laughs> no, seriously, if uh, if I was a defense manufacturer hoping to get guaranteed construction funding from the Brit from any government, any democracy, I would have a map drawn up of all the political of all the constituencies. Look at which constituencies are most in the balance, i.e. closest run, most marginal ones. Preferably in the UK, a two or even three-way fight between the Lib Dems, the Labour, and the Labour Party and the Conservatives. And that is where I would stick my factory. And, uh, the first and then I would wins. dare them, <laughs> dare them to ever close it down or ever cancel an order. All right. Drac, well, what do you think? Would that work? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, but you know, relying on anything in the current political environment, yeah, okay. all right. Oh, on that right, then, positive right. note, on that mm -hmm. positive note, we'll call it a show. Hope you've enjoyed episode 110. 111. Take care. 111. Yeah. Yes, it's, we're an aardvark, um, aren't we, this time? Yes. All right. Yeah, no, I keep forgetting 110. Take Hopefully care, everything will be slightly brighter and lighter and everything next week. You never know. Ooh, Something yes, good might happen. You say that every time. You say that every time. Well, this is the thing. Well, you know, if, if, you you're, if you're pessimistic, you're either being proved right or pleasantly surprised. 
Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. See you next week, everyone. Either way to win. Take care. Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. <laughs> <laughs>